today, I want to start by thinking about order. Now, usually when we think about order, we think about varying degrees of importance, don't we? Or success, or achievement, or we think about things being in order, we think about value being ranked. Uh, so, for example, here we go. When you're playing cards, you, you put them in order, don't you? In order of their suits and in order of their value that you're going to have to use them. In different games, where the order, where the different values are different, you shuffle them in a different order, don't you? To make it easier. You have them ranked. We put things in order. Some things are more valuable in the game than others. We know in competing in sporting events that first is more successful than second, isn't it? That's generally the way it goes. People compete to win the gold medal. No one goes into it competing think, gee, I'd love to walk away with second place. That's, my, that's the pinnacle of my goal. Uh, they want to win. That's how it works. We, we know that. Ranking is about the ordering of the success. The first place was more successful, was faster, was stronger, was fitter than second place. Uh, in the emergency department, if you go to ER, you get to do a thing called triage, where the, the first nurse you meet, they rank your whatever condition you're presenting with in order of seriousness, which is, which is the most important thing we need to treat first. Is it this person with a broken arm or is it this person who is unconscious? Well, they make decisions about that. This, this disease is, is more important for us to treat. So they do that first, don't they? That's, that's, we, we think about this. Uh, the order in which you're born in a family. Like we all know that the firstborn is the most important. <laughs> Aren't they? That's, or is that just kind of my unique perspective on the world? Uh, well, maybe that one doesn't fit. But uh, the others, you know what we mean. The, the order is, is normally something we, we perceive in terms of value. Things that are ordered higher, we, we think about being more important, more significant worth more. The ace is worth more than the three. Gold is worth more than silver. We inherently bring this way of thinking to about order often, often when it's not actually the reality. Don't we? We sometimes import this way of thinking into situations where well, the order isn't showing us about what's most important. What are some examples of that? Well, uh, Order's not always important about what's important. Here we go. Uh, the order that the movie comes in the, in the saga isn't necessarily about how good it is or how important or how crucial to the story, is it? Where it fits in. The order isn't necessarily even... Star Wars is a good example because they told the middle part of the story first. Uh, oh, where's it gone? I missed one. Uh, traffic. When you're sitting at the traffic lights, what happens? You take turns, don't you? There's an order about what happens. Sometimes you have to wait for other people to go before you. Now, is that saying that they're more important? No, it's not, is it? It's about having a turn and sharing. But there is a process, an organisation that happens. You don't always get to go first. In fact, if you're like me, when you enter a traffic light, you always get to go last. Uh, that's the way it seems. And, of course, the birth order. It's 
we have these things that are ordered and there's age and there's things that go along with it, but there's not more value in being born first or being the youngest or whatever the case. There's lots of situations where order still has some kind of structure, but it isn't teaching us about value. We've been thinking about the church. We've been doing a series looking at what is the church? What is it all about? And we've been seeing so far that, well, one, church is God's and it's all about God. Whatever church is, it's from him and for him and to him. We've seen that church is sinful people that God has chosen and set apart for himself, forgiving them by his grace made possible through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. Sinful people is what church is made up of. We've seen that church exists in relationships between people. These people who have been forgiven and are collected into God's family were also in relationship with one another. We're brothers and sisters. And that means that, well, we love each other and we care about one another, about spurring one another on as forgiven people. And we've seen, we saw last week that even though we're all kind of in the same situation together, we're all sinners that there are differences between us. And that's good. And it's a healthy expression of what God is doing. We're not all the same. We shouldn't expect to be all the same. And today we're going to kind of zoom in on just one special difference that exists among the church. And that is there is an order in some of the relationships within church. There's an order that comes with leadership. Now, the first thing we want to see is this order is good. It's not, it's not bad. It's not something to be afraid of. It's good. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy. Here is a trustworthy saying, whomever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. The one who's thinking about leadership in the church, that's actually that's a good thing to think about for that individual, but it's reflective of the fact that it's good to have overseers in the church. Uh, Paul's practice was to set up leaders in the churches that he planted. Uh, it was important to have this dynamic in the people. Now, we are sometimes suspicious of leaders, aren't we? We're suspicious of people holding authority. Uh, sometimes that comes from just personal bad experience with leaders, that we don't trust them because we know they've let us down in the past. We know the way, too many of the ways that leaders have failed. Maybe that's in the back of your mind as we come up to council elections that uh, we hear too often about how politicians are corrupt, how there's always some inquiry or another, some allegation that's being made and investigated. And sometimes, it's, sometimes they're, they're cleared, but sometimes it's because there's been corruption. And that's kind of smeared politicians for us as a, as a group, hasn't it, in some ways? And more than that, it's kind of smeared leadership for us as a whole. Australians have this kind of a stereotype anti-authoritarianism. That we're kind of resistant to authority as a thing. Oh, that's, a, that's the stereotype of Australians. But maybe that's you. Maybe you just, just resist the, that authority being over you. That there's governments. 
Whatever, whatever kind of background you're bringing to this, when we come to seeing authority in the church, we, we have to see that it's good. And to an extent as well, we see that authority in other situations is good as well. Is good. God sets up authority in churches, in, in governments, in families. Like that's, that's all good and appropriate. Even though we do see it be abused. To say that it's good, that authority is good, it doesn't justify power being misused, people being mistreated in the name of a good thing. Just because a car is dangerous and can cause significant harm and damage doesn't mean that it's a bad form of transport. So authority, it's not moral in itself. But here God is setting it up for a good purpose. Now what is, what is authority for in the church? What is this... Order four. Well, if we turn to a passage we've been to a couple of times in this series already, Ephesians 4, we get reminded. Why is there authority in the church? Uh, here it says, So Christ himself gave the authority figures, people, roles, people with roles of authority. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow in, to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined together and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now here, we see a, a beautiful picture of the church. A church that has people with roles of authority. Why? For the good of the church as a whole. To equip them for works of service so that the body may grow up into maturity. Uh, Jesus sends these people different roles of leadership. And while there's those ones that are mentioned there explicitly, I think that this, this theory, what he's doing actually is about all types of leadership in the church. That he also sends Sunday school leaders. That he sends Bible study leaders. That he sends just kind of like elder mentor figures who relate to you in a, in a relationship of leadership, who model maturity, who encourage you and spur you on to live following Christ and to serve others in the body. Now, this is what this, is this dynamic at work. God sets up order in the church that's good and sets it up for the purpose of growing the church in maturity, making us more like Jesus. And this is necessary, isn't it? Because we're not all mature yet. Well, actually, none of us are mature yet, are we? <laughs> uh, even leaders aren't, haven't reached the fulfillment of maturity. And that's it's not entirely necessary, is it? Uh, to, be able to, to be able to teach and encourage others, you don't have to be fully there yet. But you have to be progressing on that path. Don't you? And it's the act 
of being a disciple that we're encouraging people in. It's not being mature fully. It's the growing in maturity that's happening. Order is good. It's to grow maturity in the church. And when it's done well, when it's done well, it is an act of love and service. I'm going to read you another passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We read it earlier in the year as we look through this. You may remember. This is Paul talking about how he related to the Thessalonian church as someone who was in authority. What was his relationship like with them? And he says, For the appeal we made, we make, does not spring from error or from impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or from anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. So we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live the lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Here we see leadership in the church at its best, don't we? This is the model the Apostle Paul sets up himself. The model that all leaders in the church should be following. A model of servant leadership. Loving those under your care for their good. Not from what you can get out of it, not for greed or other impure motives. Not for praise of men. But to do what's right in God's sight. To serve. And you notice that familial language that was used. Like they were like little children, not asserting the authority of the apostle, not to kind of depending on their position to say, I'm the apostle, therefore this. But in that kind of uh, weak mode, like children. Being among them without guile and without powerful presence. Instead, they treated them like brothers and sisters like a mother caring for young children with that tenderness, like a father exhorting and encouraging his own children on, spurring them on, comforting it. This is the model, the good model of leadership done well. Unfortunately, unfortunately we have mixed, mixed experience, don't we? We've, we've had ways that leaders haven't lived up to this and ways they have. Uh, I know in my own experience, I've had some wonderful, uh, wonderful Christian leaders. Those who have spent time with me. I remember as a teenager, uh, one of my youth leaders, he used to have us round to his house, or not house, granny flat, 
that had one and a half rooms and he had like seven of us teenagers in there uh, and he would spend time with us before church in order that we would hang out. He would spend time getting to know us, sharing his life with us and then we'd walk up the road to church and go to church together. It's his way of kind of encouraging us to be there but not just kind of greeting us at the door, going the extra step. I remember him teaching us the word and not just when it was easy but when there were hard things to say. I remember him teaching us not to be lazy about reading, not just giving the kind of obvious answers, this kind of the easy answers, but to work hard because this is God who is speaking. Wonderful lessons. Lessons that I heard from his mouth but also saw him put into practice as he taught. I remember other leaders who spent money on us by buying us magazines to help us understand the truth of the Bible. Kind of like the Bible's a thick book and kind of hard to give teenagers just go and read this. And so, well, here's some things to help you. He served us. He didn't have to. I remember other leaders who, when I was kind of becoming an adult and graduating from youth group into high school, into, not into high school, out of high school, at that age where I was finished school, I was 17, and he was one that kind of welcomed us into his social circle as a young Christian man. He invited us in, not just kind of someone, yeah, we see you on Sunday at church, but we want to encourage you to socialise with us, to share our life with you. Even though you're, there's a bit of an age gap and we're used to someone that you've been a kid at youth group and we've been leaders, that he went the extra effort to, to do this. Just simple things that showed his care and love. That he was a leader and yet he was actually serving our interests, not just what was good. Now, I'm sure as you think about yourself, there have been good examples of leadership as well, haven't there? There have been people who have done great work pointing you to Jesus, who have made sacrifices for you to tell you the gospel, to remind you of the truth. They've done things when it's hard, the word that isn't always comfortable to say, the rebuke. And it's costly to spend time with you when they'd rather be doing something else. This is what order in the church is supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like loving service. Loving service. Now, we see this. We have order in the church that's good. God says it's good. He sets it up for a good purpose, to grow the church in maturity. We see a good example of this loving order, service, services, ministry. But you know what? Even more than this, it's good because the order in the church reveals what God is like. It shows us what his character is like. We have a Trinitarian God, don't we? A Father, Son and Spirit who are not just Father, Son and Spirit kind of all on the level and melded in. But a Father who gives directions, instructions to the Son who plans. A Son who is obedient 
to the Father. A spirit who is sent out by the Father and the Son. Uh, there is an order in the Trinity. That is not saying one is more important than the other. It's not saying we could do without one and maybe we'll just skip and go straight to the top. They're all God. Three persons. But they are in relationships that are ordered. And as we have order in the church, and as to a lesser degree as we have order in society, just as human beings made in God's image, we reflect what he's like. Well, the church should be the place where we're doing that best, shouldn't it? Order in the church is good. It's for maturity. It's done with motives to serve and to reveal what God is like. And Jesus himself sets the perfect example of service, doesn't he? As he, in fulfilling the Father's plan, in seeking to serve the people under his care, comes to earth as a baby in humility, takes on the frailty of human flesh, ultimately yields his own life to suffering and to death, to facing God's wrath for our sins. Jesus is a servant. Even though he is the head of the church, he's the one in authority ultimately over it. He uses his authority to serve. Now, we've, when we think about this, we can think about the order being good. We usually fall off the horse on one side or the other, don't we? Either we make too much of order in the church and we can fall into the trap of thinking about value and thinking about, well, the, the leaders, they're kind of more important in the scheme of things. They're closer to God or they're kind of like they can act as a mediator. Uh, they can give me special access, special grant special grace sometimes that's a trap we can fall into sometimes sometimes it's just because of kind of practical things that we fall into this way of thinking we just think leaders time is, is valuable and I won't bother them because like they've got important stuff to do we can fall into the trap of forgetting that serving the church is the role of leaders if you've got some question, some situation where the leader can serve, then it's not interrupting their job to, to talk with them about it, is it? That is their job. It's the role. Whether it's asking a question in Bible study, or whether it's calling me up because you want to spend time and, and share some situation with me and ask for prayer... Please don't think that leaders are kind of out there at a distance. Christian leaders in the church, in our church, need to be servants who are engaged, sharing life with you and accessible. If you think it might be too busy, I'm not. If it's an important issue to you, then it's got to be an important issue to me got to make time for it. 
the other side of the horse we can fall off is kind of dismissing leadership, isn't it? We're kind of jaded with leadership. We kind of just want to ignore it, pretend like there's no leadership. Pretend like, well, usually it's with people who get either really burned by leadership or by people who kind of have that pride where they want to be the one calling all the shots. Part of leadership is about making decisions. And if you want to make all the decisions and you're not willing to submit to the decisions that others make, then sometimes that can mean you're resistant to the concept of leadership. Usually if that's you, you'll find that you're resistant to it in other areas of life as well. It's not just church, that you're resistant to it in government. that it's probably pretty rare that we'd have situations in church where say a leader Bible study leader Sunday school leader someone like myself is is giving a kind of clear instruction and saying this is what this is what you need to do it's pretty rare we give kind of really firm directives say you need to do this and people kind of want to go no I'm not going to do it but maybe like recently we've had this situation isn't there where we've made decisions about what to do with COVID about how we are to do church together. And I've heard about people in churches that have kind of said, no, we're not going to follow the rules. We're not going to wear masks because we don't like it. Even though the government says we do, we're resisting that. We're resisting the church leaders who say we're going to wear masks. We're resisting the kind of separating rules. We're just doing our own thing. Christians, people in churches, they've kind of missed the fact that authority is important. Now, if that's you, if you're someone who kind of has this burning desire to go against leadership, then that's something that you need to resolve with God. Our God has set up authority, and it's good. I, I implore you, talk with him about it, pray about it. Talk with someone else, a trusted friend, a leader, if you dare. Because we don't, we don't want to be people who hear this word and kind of ignore it and go our own way, just continuing on. We want to be people who reflect the truth. Who respect the authority. Leadership is sometimes a difficult issue for people, but it's, it's one that should reflect what God is like. As we do it well, it should point to him and his character. If we're not doing it well, if there's ways when we're not using the authority that we have as leaders appropriately, then by all means, speak out. Tell us where you think we're missing the mark. Because we aren't perfect. We won't get it right all the time. We need to keep growing in maturity and Christ-likeness as well. God has set up his church to be all about him, a gathering of sinners who are holy, set apart, forgiven. He's given us relationships with each other. He's given us differences. 
that we're not all the same. And particularly, he's given us this dynamic of leadership where some are given particular responsibility to serve others, to grow them in maturity. The church is ordered, and that's good. You know what the opposite of order is? It's not just kind of everyone flat on the level, is it? The opposite of order is disorder. And we don't want to be a church that's out of order. We want to be a church that reflects this truth. As we grow together as one gospel family, and as we overflow with our joy in Jesus to each other and to the world around It's my prayer that me as a leader and the other leaders we have in our church in formal roles and the people who just provide leadership informally, mentoring, encouraging, that all of us will enable us to do this better and better, to be one gospel family overflowing in joy in Jesus. That's my prayer for us as leaders. And I wonder if you would be praying for us as leaders too. That same way. How about a leaders now? Gracious God, thank you for appointing leaders in the church. Thank you for giving us the gift of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers. And thank you for the many leaders who have pointed us to Jesus throughout our lives. And please grow us as a church, grow our leaders, that we might reflect this better and better. That we would have leaders who love, leaders who serve, and leaders who help equip all of us for works of service so that we might be more and more one gospel family overflowing with joy in Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.